G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast Round 13 Review Edition after the second of the buy rounds. And a pretty good round it was too, a couple of absolute thrillers, some uh, important results, a um, couple of really good games. Uh, given that we at the moment have a reduced menu, I thought it was Pretty appetising fare, as I say. Uh, bon appetit and good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Fine? Oh, very well and very easy to go from bon appetit and good menus to thanking our sponsors, Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. They've been voted Melbourne's best hamburger annually for, I imagine, 80 years, given it's their 80th birthday this year. They're that good. Say day to the Greggs down there. Uh, Bit of um, Carlton love around. Greg actually barracks for the Swans. Greg, which Greg? Smaller Greg barracks. Greg big, one. Big Swan supporter. Yeah, fair enough. Well, but they're close to South Melbourne. Maybe there's some links from there. That's exactly where the links are from. And Nick Spartel's Carlton supporter, and we'll be talking about Carlton shortly. See, that was a <laughs> that would have been the win of the century. Oh, it was a great game. They would have brought the, that would have they would have brought the walls down. At Marvel? Yes, well, I'll be talking about the walls at Marvel uh, later on too. But uh, Marvellous. So, big thank you to Nick Bartels and Hardwick Build Co., great builders in a suburban, what a weekend of football it was, mate. It was. Uh, some significant results. Um, Carlton Bulldogs game, probably close to the best game I've seen this year. And I love it when a Strangest game... Strangest game? Well, yeah, but I, I love it when a game you're not expecting that much of um, becomes a ripper. You know, I love the spontaneity of that, I suppose. So, um, really enjoyed that. And the, the game was sort of over twice, wasn't it? Yeah. Twice it looked like the Bulldogs had really put Carlton to the sword and it was going to be a stroll from then on. Yeah. But an amazing seesawing game. Yeah, it was. Uh, ladder-wise, uh, Cats, of course, with the bye, remain two games clear on top. GWS, however, have moved uh, into second spot. Equal on points uh, with the Pies. Adelaide, a game further back in fourth on 32. Uh, eight wins as are West Coast. And then make rounding out the eight, Fremantle, Brisbane and Richmond. Uh, heavy duty non-Victorian representation in the eight. Finey, one, two, three, four, five out of eight. Yeah, look at important win for the Bombers. That keeps them, their hopes alive. It does. I thought there were some good signs there. St Kilda, they'll welcome back some plays in the next few weeks. Yep. They need them, but they, again, from 31 points down, maybe not as late in the game as last year. Isn't that a coincidence? 31 points down, two years in a row against Gold Coast, and they won both games. They've won their last three games against the Gold Coast by 2-1-4. and Yeah, four. yeah. and uh, just quickly on the Saints too, you've got a bit of an injury update for us. Yeah, look, there was... a. a Frightening incident for St Kilda at VFL level in Sandringham. Look, St Kilda has had a horrible year with injuries, unexpected injuries, obviously mental health issues for Jack Stephen, and a lot of hope is pinned on future star Max King, and he is a future star, and he started brilliantly against Werribee, and then 10 minutes in, uh, went for a mark, was sort of, I've seen the vision, was sort of tunnelled, pushed underneath the ball, mm. got to his feet, and then his just knee wouldn't support him. There were grave fears. He went, had scans, and at last, a lucky break for the Saints as the scans revealed no serious damage. And uh, while we're talking scans too, I think uh, the Bulldogs pretty optimistic that Tom Liberatore, um, I think he's going to have surgery, but I think it's uh, cartilage rather than a uh, full catastrophe. So good news for them too. Of course, the ACL in the Liberatore family is about a six-week injury, isn't it? 
How long was Tony out? Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, well, Tom's already done uh, two of them, I yeah. think. So, um, fingers crossed that one's okay. All right, let's not muck around anymore. Let's get uh, – oh, no, hang on. Competition, quickly. Let's what? get the housekeeping how, done. How could I not look at your face and immediately think of the competition? And it's it is. The best moustache in football now or some time previously. Not a beard, the best moustache. You've ever seen, and we have. Uh, we've got the entries are rolling in. Uh, don't worry though; we expect a few people to have the same suggestions. Let's get into a thorough review of round thirteen on Footyology Wraparound, and it all kicked off at the Adelaide Oval on Thursday evening, finally with a comprehensive in the finish, thirty-three point win to Adelaide. Over Richmond, 15 goals, 11, 101. Defeat of the Tigers, 9, 14, 68. Uh, the big guns firing for the Crows up forward. Uh, key position forwards. Josh Jenkins, four goals to him. Three goals to Taylor Walker. Two goals each to Sloan and Betts. For the Tigers, two each to Rioli, Lynch and Martin. They were the only multiples. Um, thought... It took them till the second half to really put their stamp on the game, but uh, power pack third quarter by the Crows, finally seven goals, three to just three goals, three. That's where they got the break and built on that again in the last quarter with another five to one. Um, dominant midfield, I thought both Crouch brothers, Brad and Matt, were terrific combined. I think 75-odd disposals between those two. Rory Sloan, just a, another terrific game from him. Rory Laird, got to be one of the most consistent players in the competition, I think. His usual swag of touches and influence. Um, a great game from young O'Brien in the ruck, admittedly up against a very, very raw uh, opposition ruck division, but uh, thought he was terrific for them. For the Tigers, Dusty, a uh, bit of a lone hand for Dusty, uh, acting skipper, of course, on this occasion with both uh, Trent Cochin and Shane Edwards out injured, among other absentees. And that's probably the story of the evening for the Tigers, finally. Those absentees really starting to uh, take a hold. Yeah, look, they were undermanned coming out of last week's clash for them. And then to lose Edwards, who's been consistent, played every game up till now and probably their best player consistently throughout the year and their replacement Ruckman Ivan Soldo late withdrawal because of illness. Look, they were very brave early, weren't they, Richmond? But you just get a feeling that it was fingers in the dike for them and in the end Thanks, Bruce. It was go You just get a feeling. No go. Yeah, I thought fingers in the dike. But anyhow oh. well I'd I don't know whether he uses that expression. But in the end it was too much to hold back the tide and the avalanche of goals that came in the second half was sort of predictable and it's predictable in a way because Richmond don't have good tall defenders that, again, they were taken to the cleaners a little bit, no, a lot of bit by the best Jenkins Yeah, Ga- um, Garth Waite's having his confidence knocked around, isn't he? Yeah, best combination of Jenkins and Walker we've seen for a while. Yeah. For Richmond, they're all welcome players back after the bye, but their percentage is a worry for them as well now, isn't it? 92 and that tells a tale in and of itself. Okay, do we think uh, the Tigers can A, get all the key players back in time to salvage the season, but B, get them playing long enough and sufficiently uh, gelling together sufficiently to still be a viable flag threat? No, because that is... I'm glad you made that point. By the end of the season, their their team may read far healthier and on paper look as though a team that could threatened for the flag, but we yet to see any cohesion in the short time that Rewalt and Lynch had together, and that is going to be key to their success. And the back line, really, without Rance, that has come under some pressure, and he's not coming back. So I don't think so, no. Okay, and secondly, the Crows. I mean, now... Well, what's your take on them? Can they... The Crows? I'm still not convinced, you know. Like, I feel like I'm being overly harsh, but I can't help but think about the sort of footy they were playing in 2017. And I just... it For whatever reason, I just it just doesn't look like they're capable of regaining those lofty heights. And I can't think of a practical reason why that can't be the case. But... It's just not. And and these last three wins, I mean, Melbourne, they got out of jail. GWS, good win, um, but it took them till the last 10 minutes of the game to seal the deal. 
and this was more comprehensive. So I guess, you know, you look at that graph and it's going up and you think, well, you know, maybe they can keep improving. But you know, just I've got my doubts, to be honest, whether they can sustain a run of form long enough. Do you think they're any sort of chance for the flag? Well, I'm a bit more bullish about them because I like that team far more when Lynch is in it. So good effort to win the last two games without him. And after a poor start to the season where, where they were well off the pace, I think they're now, they've got chips in the game. They're, mm. they're, they're at the table. They're not the chip leader by any stretch of the imagination, but they've got enough of a foothold in the season that if they can build on this, important to see how Jenkins survives Jenkins survives that hyperextended knee. Yep. If Walker and Jenkins can combine well for the rest of the year, then I think they can mount an outsider's, a bolter's hope. And let's be honest, recent premiers have come from a long way back. Yep, true. I think they've got chips in the game. I don't think they're Andrew's hamburgers uh, quality chips, though. You're not a gambler, are you? Immediately, (laughs) I say chips, you think Andrew's. Yes. Fair enough, too. Okay, a big Friday night clash at Marvel Stadium between those traditional rivals, Essendon and Hawthorne. Yes, it all started back in the early 80s and still going strong. Uh, 35-odd years later. And this episode uh, delivered a comfortable enough win in the end to the Bombers. 14 goals, 12-96, 19-point victors over the Hawks. 11-11-77, Lord Nelson. Two goals to Begley, Fantasia, Langford and Stringer for the Bombers. And uh, 10 goal kickers in total, so good spread for them. Uh, Jarman Impey, two goals. He was the only multiple goal kicker for the Hawks who uh, really seemed a bit impotent up forward. Um, my take on this, finally, I thought Essendon for nearly the whole game looked the better equipped side, but Hawthorne were able to play this uh, chip, chip, chip possession game and deny Essendon the ball, and they're able to get the inside 50 entries and deny Essendon possession uh, and time enough to rack up enough entries themselves. But once it got in their forward 50, the Hawks, they couldn't do anything with it. Gunston, very quiet. Bruce, very quiet. Didn't leave a lot else with um, uh, <laughs> Mitchell Lewis. I was about to say Lewis Mitchell. Um, out of a side this week. And uh, they just couldn't kick goals in the end. And then after half time, that's when Essendon really got on top. Some midfield dominance. Five goals, four in the third quarter to two goals, two. And uh, got about six goals up. Uh, Hawthorne got a couple of cheapies towards the end, but never really sort of threatening to take over the game. I thought Merritt, terrific for Essendon, probably their best midfield. I thought Dyson Heppel, great captain's game from him. I thought Dylan Clark, again, um, played a key role in shutting down Jager O'Meara. Down back, um, Hip, uh, Hooker and Hurley playing that intercept marking role, both terrific, and they generated a heap of run out of Connor McKenna and Adam Saad off half back. Didn't uh, take their scoring opportunities enough, but uh, did enough in the end to win. Jake Stringer, an injury concern for them, but uh, fingers crossed, not that serious for for him and for the Bombers. Yeah. Look, Essendon's forward line looked a lot better with McKernan and Fantasia there, no question. Tipping Witty was quiet, and a fair bit was made on the commentary that Mac Tip kicks goals you win and doesn't kick goals and Essendon lose. So that didn't happen this weekend. But Laverde's an interesting one. He he was lively in the forward line, but he couldn't hit the side of the oh. but he could not hit the side of the barn from from the barn door shadow. Yeah, pity because he actually adds a bit to the forward line. For Hawthorne, we were both quite comfortable in tipping Essendon prior to the game. And Hawthorne, I think, started favourite. But they played like a team. I think so. I think they were close to favourite. They played like a team who were playing, thought they were playing against the Premiers. They they really went out there with a very negative mindset, Mm. hoping to sort of score on the rebound or, or profit from Essendon's potential turnovers. They weren't there to create turnovers. They were there to carefully sort of um, crisscross their way across the ground and far contrast to the way Essendon took the game on. And quite frankly, at the end of the game, things open up a bit towards the end of a game of football. And it was no surprise to see Essendon show some momentum and put the game beyond doubt at the start of the last quarter because Hawthorne created no momentum all night. Very strange move, by the way. 
I thought Sicily was offering something up forward, and then for no reason, with the game level sort of at half-time or thereabouts, what was the score at half-time? Uh, Eston by three points. Yeah. They swapped O'Br- Clarkson swapped O'Brien for Sicily. It wasn't as though O'Brien was getting beaten down back. Well, I, I'd question the move of Sicily forward to begin with, uh, to be honest. Look, uh, what a big picture stuff here. Essendon will know a lot more about them over the next two weeks. They've got West Coast in Perth on Thursday night, and the following Thursday they've got GWS at at uh, Marvel. So, you know, I'm hedging my bets on them until after those two games. Hawthorne, the aura has worn off. Um, Terrible and, night for Hawthorne, really. This is a proud team. Yeah, no, they were. And uh, the difference for me between two years ago when they had a poor season but still managed to get something out of it with the introduction of some younger guys, the senior blokes that were playing then were still delivering week to week. It looks like that whole group of senior players is starting to fall off the cliff as one. And if that is the case, it doesn't leave them a whole heap. So uh, I think the writing's on the wall in terms of where they go uh, long-term-wise. And I think Alistair Clarkson knows that. And this is a very poor night for Hawthorne. Their fans would not be pleased with the way they were played, the lack of bravado, and the fact that the Hawthorne Football Club captain was cited for an embarrassing offence of pinching an opponent, which now apparently is known in the AFL as something that he does every week. It's not not a proud night for a very proud club. Uh, very unHawthorne-like, I think, is the fair comment on that one. All right, uh, that's enough on Friday night. Let's go to Saturday football. And when Saturday rolls around, where do you think of to go and watch a great game of AFL footy? Well, of course, you think of Townsville, Riverway Stadium. No, I uh, I jest. Uh, Another venue added to the now quite lengthy list of venues at which league football has been played. 7,243 in the first game for Premiership points in Townsville. And they saw a thriller. Uh, They saw St Kilda once again making a habit of this, getting up by less than a kick against Gold Coast. The Saints, 11-14-80 to Gold Coast, 11-10-76. For the victors, three goals to Membry, two each to Billings and Kent. For the Suns, two each to King, Wright and Holman. Finey, I'll let you pick it up. Well, first of all, let me say that it was fortunate that St Kilda broke an extraordinary run of scores from their previous six games. They got to a final total of 80 points against the Gold Coast Suns, 11-14. In their previous six games, their scores spanned a margin of only three points. Did you know that? Uh, I do now. So their previous six games, they scored 68, 70, 70, 71, 68 and 69. Uncanny. Luckily, they just got over that because Gold Coast at 11-10-76 would have won by a goal had St Kilda been true to their form this year. They managed to get there after being only two goals midway through the third quarter. 31 points up Gold Coast, as they were last year against St Kilda. Billings was excellent all day for St Kilda. Kicked two goals to cap off his good work. Marshall got on top of maybe an injured Jared Witts. Yeah, that was costly for the Suns when they got hurt. And I guess an impartial's view would be the Gold Coast probably were unlucky and St Kilda might have stolen the game. That being said, St Kilda in the last quarter really should have put the game to bed. Brandon White missed twice from 15 metres out. And Gold Coast still had a sniff at the very end. It wasn't a game that hit any great heights. In fact, the first quarter was you'd you'd have a VFL coach tearing strips off players for the way they played in the first half, uh, first quarter, both teams. Well, hard to think the conditions didn't take a toll. It was 27 degrees. I think um, even when the goal, even when the Suns got more than five goals up, I thought, they're not safe here. They're never safe. And that's the worry because their opponents think that as well. Yeah, and as soon as the Saints got a couple of goals in a hurry, you could see the, the whole tone around both sides changed. And, and in the end, you're right, the Saints should have won it by... Plenty, well, enough. You know, I mean, they, one by four goals, well, they right. kicked four six in the last quarter to three one. Um, Gold Coast, funnily enough, just converted the chances at the end when they were generating far fewer of them. Um, I feel sorry for them because I think on the balance of play, they probably deserve to get over the line. Uh, Swallow 
pretty good for them. Uh, Lockie Weller, pretty good. Uh, one of the few that was able to use the ball with any sort of surety. Jack Martin, not bad. The usual suspects for them. Brody uh, showed a bit. Fiorini, not bad. You know, it's a pity. Will Powell's got ability, but he, he, gee, he did some terrible kicking. Yeah. I, and, and the real pity here is, and you just touched on it, if they can't win a game like that, uh, when they're five goals up against a side that hasn't been winning like the Saints, are they actually going to clock up another win for the season? They just keep running out of steam altogether. Cannot play four quarters for the life of me. Yeah, I don't know where their next win comes from. And if so, it will be a mirror image of the previous year. So what about the Saints? They had that great start to the season. We saw them sort of fall off a cliff. And we, I reckon most of us have sort of forgotten about them. They are going to get a few players back, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, Hanabry was good in the VFL for Sandringham today, 24 possessions. I think they might roll the dice with him next week. Jack Steele's a couple of weeks away, big loss. Jack Stephen, you know, when you put Hanabry, Steele and Stephen, Webster and Carlisle back into that team, and that will happen in the next two to three weeks. It's a decent roll call. It's a better team. So, okay, well, they're well, up Well, they to, can't make the eight. Well, what are they now, six, six and six? Six and six. But next week, again, they might be a bit short-staffed, but at Marvel against Brisbane, they'd be even money, would they? Uh, I mean, yeah. Brisbane lost to Carlton there. And then, yeah. Yeah, no, even money's a reasonable call. I'll tell you one thing about Marvel. You know, Brisbane-Carlton game was almost mud. You cannot play games there during the day with the roof open. No, well, I think... I think They've decided not to. I, I think so, yeah. So... Isn't it funny that they don't play night games there with the roof open? Because that's when you could play with the roof open. And they say, oh, we keep it open for the ground needs the sunshine. Well, it's only a couple of extra hours a week, but you could play outdoor games at night if it was a nice night. No, the inmates might escape, Finey. Out, out the top of the and, lid. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, keep, uh, listening. keep listening. All right, that's enough from that game. Uh, we go from Townsville to Perth. Twilight Saturday in Perth, and it saw a 21-point win to Fremantle over Port Adelaide. 15 goals, 10-100, defeating the power 12-7-79. Incredibly tight game. This is three quarters until uh, Frio kicked 3-4 in the last quarter to no score, surprisingly enough. Uh, magnificent game from Michael Walters. What a season he's having. Six goals to him. Three goals to Jesse Hogan, arguably his... Best performance for his uh, new club or second club. Brandon Matera, three goals as well. They were the multiples for Port. Kane Farrell with four goals, two to Ryder and the rest all singles. Uh, Pretty high standard game, this. I really enjoyed it. Look, if you turn on the TV and you know that there's going to be Walters, Fife, a couple of Hills, Boak, Gray, there's some stars playing in the game. And they were all on show. Walters is playing almost, you'd say with Tim Kelly, sort of at the moment, the best players in the competition. He's just brilliant, Walters. Mm. Utterly brilliant. Match winning, ball possession winning, goal kicking, a star. Fife is incredible. It was funny watching him walk off at half time, putting his arm around Griffin Logue. Now, Griffin Logue is a key position backman and considered, you know, he was put in there to take the tall forwards, wasn't he? Yeah. He's exactly the same height as Griffin Lowe. Yeah, yeah. No, he's, he's a big boy now. He's that. a big boy. Boak was great. I, I, By the way, Matera kicked a fantastic goal. I'm sure if Eddie Betts would have kicked it, it'd be goal of the year. He kicked a superb goal, little Brandon Matera. The snap. Yeah, from uh, yeah, the boundary. Yeah. But he did well to keep it in, and then, you know, his body was sort of out of bounds. Beautiful goal. All right, well, let's talk big picture with the Dockers. Uh, I'm looking at the ladder here. They're in sixth spot. Yep. They are on points only a game outside the top four. Are we guilty of not taking them seriously enough? Oh, they've been actually a bit unlucky. I think that they've had a great season. I did... Pre- I, I so think, why are they unlucky? Because last week they lost Lobb and Pierce, yeah. and they are major outs. Yep. Darcy rucked well, but they haven't had a second forward to play with Hogan. So now that Hogan's okay, I mean, Brennan Cox, he was clumsy. Mm. He just kept falling over people. Sorry. If they would have lost, fingers would have been pointed at him. Does he remind you a bit, not in terms of shape, but propensity for those sort of things as uh, Kepler Bradley? Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he's that sort of he's that sort of tall forward, isn't You know, they must I'll, have shown promise somewhere. I was thinking mercurial, but not in the cliched way that people use mercurial. Yeah, he reminds um, me of a guy St Kilda got from Melbourne many years ago called Steve Turner. 
He wasn't a ruckman. He wasn't a forward. He was just very clumsy. So um, we're not going to take the Dockers seriously, are no, we? No, I think they're a serious team, but I just think they have limitations. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the likelihood is if Any they... team that doesn't take them seriously will get beaten by them. Collingwood, they beat Collingwood here. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. We but should, with Pierce and Lobb. We shouldn't sell them short. The likelihood is if they make the eight, it'll be in the bottom half of the eight where you'd think... Okay, if they get a home final week one they and win that, they don't get one week two. It becomes pretty tough. But from where they've been since 2015, it's a pretty good comeback. And, and you you know, you've got to give Ross Lyon his due. It's good performance from him. Yeah, you know what's strange about it? Last year, for the entire year, in fact, for the last couple of years, Ross Lyon has played all the kids on the list. Mm. And they really hasn't produced much. Because their improvement, they, they now, Fife is playing every week. They recruited some talls in Lobb and Hogan. Mm. Walter's best season, the two hills, Bradley Hill from Hawthorne. Yeah. All those kids that they played, very few have, have sort of, Turned out to be a successful crop, and Con- I think I Connor think Blakey was all right in the back line. Yeah, just off the top of my head, I think they might have had fifteen debutants last year and the year before, which was as many as anyone. Yeah. Uh, I think they and Geelong actually had the most. Well, certainly they haven't got the harvest Geelong have got. No, no, absolutely right. And Port, what what do we think about Port? They'll welcome back Wines and Dixon. Over the next week or so, they'll get some players back. Hartler was good in his return. There's just something not right about them. They don't. They don't, they don't look threatening, do they? They yeah. they look a, a side that might turn it on once every three or four weeks. And and it's not their kids that are not being consistent. It's their more senior players. I I trust, I trust Dersma more than I trust Westoff to play a good four quarters. All right, one word answer. They're a game outside the eight port. They are ninth on the ladder. Will they make the finals? No. Yeah, I'm going no as well. And you can hold that against us if they do. All right, enough from Perth. It's back to Marvel Stadium we go. All right, Marvel Stadium, Saturday evening. And what a rip-snorter this was. I enjoyed this game as much as any game I've seen this season. I'm speaking, of course, of the Western Bulldogs. A thrilling three-point victory over Carlton. 15 goals, 13, 103. Defeating the Blues, 15, 10, 100. Three goals to Sam Lloyd, two to Lipinski, two to Dixon, and two to English singles. The rest for the Blues. Seven goals to Charlie Curnow. What a player. What a goal haul that was. Uh, two goals to Cunningham, the only other multiple for the Blues. I think both those goals in the last quarter as they made their second comeback. Amazing game. Speaking of comebacks, uh, the Bulldogs got 34 points up by, uh, I think, fairly early in the third quarter, uh, whereupon the Blues reeled that back in. Uh, it was only a goal of difference heading into the last quarter, and then the Bulldogs did it again. Uh, got the jump with the first four goals, got 34 points up again, and the Blues, with uh, off the top of my head, with just under seven minutes to play, still trailed by over five goals. Incredibly, when Kerno kicked his seventh, they were within a kick, and still with two minutes to pull it off. They didn't in the finish. Probably would have been a bit of a steal. But it was a great game. Really entertaining game. Really loud crowd. I was doing the boundary for AW, but uh, one of the loudest crowds I've heard this year. So uh, well done, Carlton fans, getting very vocal. A couple of decades of frustration will probably do that to you. Um, it was great. It was a terrific game. Really enjoyed it. And uh, the Bulldogs just getting over the line. Did you enjoy it, Finey? Yeah, I was amazed by it. Twice Bulldogs looked to have put Carlton embarrassingly off the game the first time because Carlton couldn't get their hands on the ball and Bulldogs played it on their terms. High possession, able to work the ball around by foot. Bontempelli dominant. Cripps being not tagged but being closely attended to by two or three Bulldogs midfielders. The forwards were getting off the leash. English was on top of Cruiser. And then Carlton not only got back in the third quarter, they hit the front. Now, importantly, a couple of late goals to Bulldogs put them in front at three-quarter time. And then it looked like, okay, much more diligent than last week with Brisbane. Cripps is being, being quelled. Easy goals at the start of the last quarter. How far Bulldogs, especially given that they'd lost to Carlton earlier on in the year, 
A goal by Carlton, nice little bit of consolation. Paddy Dow snapped one. And then Charlie Curnow got involved in the game. He got a free kick that was ridiculous, I've got to admit. It's so ridiculous, he was laughing about it. Him and Zane Cordy were like just sort of giggling about it. I don't know what the umpire was thinking, but it was enough to encourage Curnow to throw himself manfully into the last few minutes. And Bulldogs were nervous, weren't they? Unsure of themselves at the end. Their, their backmen were looking at each other. They were drawn to Kurnow, which meant that they were oblivious of the fall of the ball of Cunningham. And really, they are not a good team under pressure because they've lost close games this year to Carlton and Gold Coast. And they look like a team that are very vulnerable. And that, if anybody thinks Bulldogs can make the eight, they can't because of that mental fragility went under siege at the end of the game. I think that was pretty telling. And I think Carlton should be wrapped because Cripps didn't dominate and they almost won. And David Teague should take as much out of this than he did with his first game that they won. Yep. And and they and they scored, you know, and, and they played really positive uh, in those two surges, you know, really positive, quick moving, dangerous footy. It was it was great to watch. Just for the doggies. Sam Lloyd has been a pretty good pickup for them, I reckon. Need to Kevin say that. Bartlett. Hey, he's the hungriest footballer in the club. Oh, now. Okay, he's yeah. got the blinkers on around goals. He needs to improve that. Well, he's a small forward. That's who, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought uh, Lipinski, Private Lipinski, he I thought uh, played played pretty well. He, it's interesting because he he got how many? He got like thirty odd touches. Yeah, but I didn't realise he was averaging twenty three touches a game coming into the game. Well, speaking about guys that get under the radar, what about Josh Dunkley? I mean, how many yeah. touches he had? Forty. Except he? if I hear one more time. That he's from a very good sporting family. His brother now on the Melbourne list, and his sister plays for the Vic, for, 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 who, the Vixens or something. And his dad, his dad was played for St Kilda and couldn't get a kick. Went to Tasmania and got picked up by the Swans and still couldn't kick. And belted James Hurd. Can you believe St Kilda played him as a full forward in the v, in the reserves? Uh, hardly. He played three years at St Kilda. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I just want to. Pay, um, not tribute. Uh, I thought Matty Suckling was important. Um, I like Matty. He's a lovely bloke and he's a beautiful kick of the footy. Love watching him kick. How about that kick that should have ended the game during Carlton's comeback in the last quarter? It was online. Why did he kick it a foot off the ground? Well, because I think he occasionally gets caught up in the aesthetics of kicking rather than the end result. But I thought the goal I kicked from the boundary was high quality. And speaking of goals at the end of the game, Cruiser was up in the forward pocket in a throw-in against young Gardner, the mid-season draftee. He looked at him, and I reckon he thought, mate, you're not a ruckman. Pushed him aside and kicked the goal, and that is good play by the senior man. Is the word for that imperious? Yeah, it, it was It was. Yeah, it was commanding and it was it was suitable for the moment. Okay. Um, all right. Anyway, great game to watch. Uh, hats off to both teams. All right. Five down, one to go. It came on Sunday at uh, the questionable time of 3.20, given this wasn't a Channel 7 game. It was a Fox footy game. And if I do find out during the week that the reason it was at 3.20 was so Fox footy could have an uninterrupted lead into bounce... I'm going to be suitably pissed off on the um, uh, AFL watching audience of this country. But it resulted in a 23-point win to GWS, 14 goals, 7. Accurate kicking, unusually accurate in this day and age, 91. Defeating North Melbourne, 10-8-68. Thus, putting the Giants, finally, in second spot. Up to half-time, it was a tight, tough tussle. I know that because Sarah Jones said it twice at halftime when she was interviewing Steve Coniglio. The game owes a lot to Jack Zebel, who ironed out Toby Green at the first bounce, and then there was a bit of spite in it. And that was good, because halftime, first half scores were level. It was tight and tough. And the... Was it a tussle? Apparently. The half ended with Luke McDonald sort of shirt-fronting quite legally, got a pat on the back from his teammates, Matt DeBoer, who had followed Cunnington around faithfully and denied Cunnington his normal use of the ball. I thought it was a great win by GWS because this was a tough game. They'd lost away to Adelaide, halftime. It was it was very difficult game to win. And it was a difficult game for their best players to express themselves. But in the second half, their stars shun and they got, a, I think, one of their best wins for the year. Express Yourself. Wasn't that a really crappy Madonna song? 
Express yourself. Yeah, crap. Um, but thanks I, I, for I, I planning like, that Did one. you like the game? Uh, yeah, not bad. Not bad. And I, I think you're right. I think these are the sorts of wins that GWS need more of. And I reckon I'm going to be interested to see the reaction uh, over the next few days about where, how they're shaping up because I think you'll, you're going to see a bit of a bandwagon, I think. People saying, oh, they're going to win the flag. I don't know. There's something in the back of my mind that – and maybe it's just – Maybe I just need to see too many examples of it, but I just want to see him win a few more games like this, you know, in tough conditions at unfamiliar venues. Uh, you I'm know. not sure that back line has the strength, the height, or the poise to win a premiership. Um, it didn't have Nick Haynes today, so... Yeah, but that, he's good, but it's not... Pop- I just think their back line is a bit susceptible. It... it it relies on a lot of run and bounce and carry, and I don't think it's big, strong, or assured enough to play finals. You know, that's a long forward line. Hawkins and, that, or, you know, when Dangerfield goes down there, you need yeah. really solid backmen. I no, just no. don't think they've got them. No, it's a, it's a fair argument. I guess the counter-argument is that if they're midfield all fire, and that's an if, you know, like today, Kelly, 35 touches, brilliant user. Taranto. Terrific season. He had 30. 29 to Hopper. You know, Burrows in, gets the hard ball. Um, Cornelio, 27 and two goals. Silky. Uh, Green, up forward, three goals and 20. You know, if the likes of those guys stand up, they are pretty hard to beat. I think that's a reasonable point about their defence. I mean, Phil Davis is a spoiler to me. He's, yeah. Oh, he's, 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 he's got more aspects to his game than he did have, I think. Look, he's good. I think they need one more player like him, one big, solid, tall defender, more reliable. Yeah. So, um, uh, do you think they can win the flag? No. No. I should say I don't think they will win the flag. Again, they've got scope. I'm I like gonna, Jake yeah. Stein. The first game I might add to their defence. Yeah. I, I'm, gonna, I'm agreeing with you. I, I think they can win the flag. I don't think they'll win it. Yeah. Uh, that's no knock on them either, necessarily. I, I thought their curve was probably headed slowly down, if you have a look at it. I mean, I, I agree. Well, two, you know, preliminary final loss by kick, second preliminary final loss by six goals, third finals campaign go out in week two. You know, there's a trend there, isn't there? But I think they've they've arrested that. We've talked about where the improvement has been. Um I just I want to see them knock over Richmond on the MCG, and they will get that chance because they do have that game in the schedule. I think this year gives them the platform, though, to build to a premiership, which I agree with you. I didn't think the graph was charting that way, but now I think their future is quite bright. And quick word on North, where are they at? Oh, look, North Melbourne obviously had a very slow start of the year, won four games in a row, and a win against GWS would have put them within touching distance of the eight. Still, I think under Reshaw, they're playing tough, accountable football and will be a difficult matchup for any team. I think they're just got their spoiler value and good spoiler value for the rest of the year. Need Higgins on deck and unfortunately won't have him for some time. Well, wasn't it evident in the second half that Polish got GWS over the line and North Melbourne's most polished player wasn't playing? Yes, and as it should, we shouldn't be surprised when that happens. And I think, to be honest, that's been a bit of a recurring th- theme throughout a lot of these results in round thirteen. But I'm glad it happened outdoor at Blundstone in Hobart for Tas, you know, for in Tasmania for GWS rather than under the lid at Marvel. Yeah, because now that's my point. I want to see him win a few more games like that because in tough conditions. I'm saying because Polish. Coming to the fore in those conditions means it's not just polish. There's some hardness about that midfield as well. All right. There is round 13 wrapped up appropriately. Uh, They are the games in detail. Let's pick out a few of the highs and the lows. On footyology, hot or not. Rightio, hot or not time. I'm going to kick us off, Finey. I'm going to kick us off with a fine running defender called Adam Saad for the Essendon Football Club. I thought he was terrific on Friday night. Uh, he's been terrific the moment he's rolled up at the hangar, as a matter of fact. Uh, fourth in last year's Best and Fairest. Led the competition for the most running bounces. Uh, that's his... Ace up the sleeve, I suppose, and he does it brilliantly, and I thought he was terrific in a game that was very static and, uh, 
you know, sort of stuck in second gear. I thought he really made a difference, along with Connor McKenna. He's running defender compatriot on the half-back line there for the Bombers. Uh, but Saad, terrific game from him. And one of the goals, if not the goal of the year, I oh know Eddie Betts will probably win that, won't he? But fantastic goal from Saad with a, um, was an intercept of a, a handball and then he sort of knocked it to himself uh, balked a couple of players and uh, kicked from just on the 50, and it was a terrific team-lifting goal. Um, I think his defensive game's improved a lot since he arrived at Essendon too. You know, he defends up with the best of them. In fact, on Friday night, I checked this, he had uh, half a dozen one-percenters, which was second most of any player on the ground. Um, he has been a wonderful addition to the Bombers, and he's a very critical player for them. Yeah, it's funny. I thought that was just a perfect goal. I wonder how it will rate in goal of the year discussions. Oh, probably. I reckon it'll come behind Eddie Betts number one, Eddie Betts number two, Eddie Betts number didn't three. Didn't he punch it hard, though? It just didn't yeah. deviate. It was a beautiful kick. All right, you're up. Uh, my first is a hot, and it's Riley O'Brien. Look, Big Rob, as they call him, R-O-B. I guess most people thought when Sauce Jacobs went down that O'Brien would be there till Jacobs was fit to go again. Well, that would have been Adelaide's thinking at the time, but it's now quite clear that Jacobs is right to play, but he's been kept out of the team by somebody that has ably taken his position. A few clubs were eyeing O'Brien as a possible pick-up at the end of the year, but he's recommitted to Adelaide, and he looks to have a long future as their number one ruckman. Very good the last couple of weeks. Well done, Rob. Yeah, I agree. I think I saw his first game. Was his first game against St Kilda at Eddie Hatt? Yeah, he was good. Yeah. Well, he, he was just looked a bit ungainly. Well, uh, and when I say he was good, he, he's been he's better since, but yeah. he was part of a win. Yeah. And he's... You can see his confidence growing, though, by the way. I think that's what it is, confidence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're next. All right. Uh, I'm going with a not, and it is to overly cautious football. And uh, if I'm going to single anyone out, I think uh, several teams have been guilty of it this season, but really didn't like the way the Hawks played on, on Friday night. Uh, just chip, chip, chip. Yes, they were trying to manufacture a win and play keepings off and deny Essen and the ball. Um, and it worked. I mean, Essendon only had, uh, I think, 20 inside 50s for the entire first half. But it also meant that when Hawthorne did go forward, um, they didn't have a lot of room to work in. All uh, the Essendon mids and defenders were able to sag back into that defensive 50 and block it up and intercept, which they did pretty routinely throughout the night. And... Uh, yeah, I know Hawthorne's always sort of prided itself on its disposal by foot and its kicking efficiency, and that's been a big weapon. But when it doesn't come with the attacking instincts attached, it's a pretty blunt sort of weapon, I reckon. And uh, that's how it looked on uh, Friday night. And apart from anything else, it's just shocking to watch. You know, there's no contest involved. There's no degree of difficulty in the kicks involved. Um, it's shocking to watch. I'd rather watch paint dry. And uh, I felt I was watching paint dry for at least half of that game. So, um, yeah, I, I, I know you're a tactical genius, Clarko, but I just don't see where that sort of game style is taking the Hawks right at the moment. I'm going to start, I'm going to continue, I should say, with a knot. And my knot is now the completely incorrect interpretation of the advantage rule in the AFL. It has become, it's actually embarrassing that this rule, which has a clear definition, and the definition is that if there's a piece of play resulting in a free kick to one team and the play remains continuous and one of that player's teammates chooses to continue the play, then advantage will be called. It's the choice of the player, the teammate of the person who's been awarded the free kick. It's not for the umpire to decide whether or not there's an advantage, and to assess it and look up and yell advantage as though it's to cajole somebody to run on. And neither is it an option for a player to run a few steps and then stop and put his hand up because he decides it was an advantage. And it could no better be illustrated today than with Hopper of the GWS who took a, an advantage just before half-time, he ended up being dumped to the ground. It started a melee. But he took five steps 
and then decided he'd run into trouble, lifted the ball above his head and called an end to it. And the umpire happily gave the ball back to the person whose free kick it was. One step is enough. Advantage was taken. This needs to be tightened up right now. No, good call. Good call. Uh, and I agree with you in principle. Do you know that what I was talking about, that one with... Uh, I don't remember that one Popper. specifically. It started a brawl because he got dumped to the ground when he stopped and lifted the ball above his head. All right, I'm going to finish off with a hot, and it's a pretty obvious one, this. Charlie Curno, back to his explosive best, seven goals, one. Uh, seven marks, 17 disposals, but uh, that presence, it's back. And uh, the whole game lit up for it. Almost got the Blues over the line pretty much single-handedly in the end. Fantastic performance from him. And, frankly, just seeing a guy kick seven goals these days, it's such a rarity. I love it. I love big forwards kicking big bags of goals. It took me right back to the early 90s. And more of it, please, Charlie. You're uh, you're our great white hope in terms of uh, high goal-scoring Spearheads. It was fantastic to watch. Well done, Charlie Curnow. My hot last in this category is to Fremantle, who are often maligned, mainly, I think, because Ross Lyon is associated with a low-scoring, negative style of coaching. But I don't believe that's how he coaches today at all. I think any low scores by Fremantle are reflective of a forward line that doesn't always function. But I love the way they play football. They've got... The ball, they like getting the ball in the hands of their expansive, creative players. And now with Stephen Hill back in the team, Bradley Hill, Stephen Hill, Nat Fife, and Michael Walters make a pretty irresistible watch. Yeah, good call. Good call. Agree entirely. All right, there are our highs and lows of round 13. You know what time it is, Finey? Rant time. Let's do it. On Footyology, the rant off. All right, we're all familiar with this concept now. Been doing it long enough. Are you sufficiently fired up, Finey? I am about this. Yes, I am. All right. Well, it's good to hear. I'm going to count you in, and you're going to rant. Three, two, one, rant. Does the team that I love, St Kilda, have a piece of paper pinned to their back without their knowing, saying, kick me? Because that seems to be what happens to St Kilda year in, year out. We are the guinea pig club sent here, there and everywhere as we try and find somewhere that we can return a profit. But this year, it goes beyond the pale. We don't play teams away from home. We play teams away, away from home. So when we played GWS earlier this year, did we go to the west of Sydney? No, we went to their home away from home, the double away in Canberra. When we play Port Adelaide, do we go to Adelaide? No, we have to go to Shanghai. Do we travel up to the Gold Coast to play the Gold Coast? No, let's go further north, up to bloody Townsville. And of course, we'll play North Melbourne, not away in Melbourne, but away, away in Blundstone. I'm scared to look at the fixture for next year. Where are we going to play Fremantle in Alpha Centauri? I mean, how much money does a St Kilda supporter have? Do they think that we can just afford international flights, trips up to Townsville to see our beloved Saints? Or are we being forced into becoming television viewers? I think we are, because for a St Kilda team, an away game could be anywhere. Out of this world. I guess next year we'll be playing Bulldogs at Mars. <laughs> Very good. Very clever. And, uh, yes, uh, they are fine sentiments. What an amazing schedule. Who could have ever foreseen a um, league football roster like that even uh, 10 years ago? Yeah, <laughs> 10 years ago. No, you couldn't have picked that run of run of venues? No, certainly not. No, good rant. I enjoyed it thoroughly. And it was in time too, wasn't it? Wasn't it was. It was, uh, it was... I uh, did my bits. You, you, rather short for you. Yes. All right, count me in. Rant away, my friend. Three, two, one. I'm pissed off with this whole crackdown on supporter behaviour, Finey. Talk about an overreaction. Us media types are always accused of being out of touch with what the average punters are experiencing. Well, you couldn't accuse me of that this weekend. On Friday night, I sat in the outer at the Essendon Hawthorne game, and on Saturday night, I was out there with the common man again at the Carlton Western Bulldogs clash. What did I find? Well, I've got one word for you, Finey. Pintridge. That's what it felt like. A jail. 
We were the inmates and Marvel Stadium had been turned into one giant penitentiary. It started when I showed the attendant at the top of the aisle my pass and he growled at me, wrong bay mate, H division's that way. When I finally found my seat, everyone was wearing the same red and black type prison garb. Then it was meal time. We queued up at the soup kitchen, sorry, gourmet chicken stand, while some big beefy bloke with tats all over him slapped a label full of slop onto our trays. I tried to ask him why two burgers, some burnt chips and a few shreds of coleslaw had cost me $48, and all he could say was, move along number 146. I slipped outside into the exercise yard for a quick dart, but not before I had to endure a full body search. And when I finally sat down again to watch the game, I couldn't see a thing because the wardens, oh sorry, behavioural awareness officers, kept pacing up and down the aisles blocking the view. Some little kid in front of me burst into tears after he'd yelled out, come on hawks. One of the other security guys misheard and thought he'd said, sod off dorks, and started frog marching him off to solitary confinement. When the kid's dad tried to protest, the bloke gets on his radio and says, all units, code red, trouble with Mr. Big in Sector C. And when we all started arcing up about that, I could have sworn some guy up in the watchtower, sorry, I mean level three, lined us up with a rifle and took a shot. Though in fairness, it might have been one of those guns which fires those crappy t-shirts into the crowd. I'm telling you, Finey, it was like doing hard time. Guards everywhere, alarms going off in your eardrums every five seconds, and incredible boredom, unless you called a bunch of blokes wearing brown and gold, chipping a ball around to each other without getting anywhere, entertaining. It's no wonder they've ramped up the security presence at Marvel, Finey. Things were so dire in there under the roof, I reckon they must have been expecting a mass escape attempt. Very funny. I didn't laugh a lot. No, you didn't. No, but it was good. It was very... Oh, oh, thank you. It was cleverly written. And I just wonder, given the theme, did you stay long enough to experience lights out? At the end? Yeah. No, no, it was... You've got to be careful. Oh, yeah, lights out. Yeah, that's right. You know the joke? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to play mummies or daddies? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, well, uh, not with my daughter and sister there, certainly. (laughs) On the inside uh, the road. (laughs) We should play that. Uh, Interesting night at the footy. Um, Let's hope uh, the security is a little less officious in the ensuing weeks of a season. You didn't call the behavioural awareness officer... You didn't call any of them vinegar tits. <laughs> That's right. No, but I did yell out at one stage, bloody screws. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody didn't lag on you, did they? <laughs> yeah. All right, that's just about enough for this week. A quick reminder about our competition, Finey, which is? Uh, you know how to enter. Go to the website, Footyology. And it's a best mo ever in football. You can get an Andrews Hamburgers T-shirt and cap. We want to thank Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park. And, of course, Nick Spartels and Buildco, builders to the footy stars. And we're talking moustakas. No sideburns, no beards. Strictly moustakas only. Info at footyology.com.au to enter our competition. Winners will be announced on Thursday. That's when we'll see you next. And uh, let's keep the uh, penitentiary theme rolling. Uh, We'll see you on Thursday. And we'll take you out with this Aussie classic. (laughs) 